Well, good morning, chapel. How are you doing today? That sounded pathetic. So I don't know how you're really doing. Maybe you're just not doing good. Well, hey, everyone, I am super excited. Um, it has been said multiple times leading up to um, these last two weeks, and honestly, it's leading up to the series that we've been in, um, A Broken World, A Better Way, that we get to talk about these hard discussions in chapel. Um, and so I'm just really excited uh, to be continuing talking about how we live in a racist world um, and how Jesus provides the better way. He's inviting us to a better way. If you remember last week, um, the main thought was this. We're not allowed to be indifferent to this conversation. We're not allowed to be indifferent to the problems um, of our neighbors of a different skin color. That in a racist world, Jesus' passion requires us, requires us to hear and listen to all of our neighbors with compassion and to love them through action. And we're just gonna be continuing that today, getting more practical with it. And so I have some friends here with me. These are friends of the college and they are family to me. Um, and so I'm really excited that they're all here. Um, I have Brian Jennings with me, Jerron Scott and Brianna Bratzman. I'm gonna allow them to introduce themselves. Hey friends, my name is Brian Jennings. And uh, hey, I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma with my wife, Beth. and. We have four kids, a freshman here, and two 16-year-olds and an 11-year-old. And uh, I get to preach at a great church kind of right in the middle of Tulsa. I'm also on the board of trustees for Ozark, so anything that's bad here is my fault. And uh, also on the board with Black Box International. I know a lot of you are aware of them and love them very much. And uh, just really thankful to be here with you all. Um, I'm Jerron Scott. Um, my wife, Chelsea, and I, we live here in Joplin. We have two dogs. Um, <laughs> we're both getting our grad degree right now. I'm a pastor at Christ Church of Joplin. My name is Brianna, and I am from South Louisville, and I'm a children's ministry lead at Southeast Christian Church at a campus there. And I just graduated from here last May, so I'm fresh, y'all. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, we're gonna dive right into it. Um, there is quite a few questions that um, we got a chance to just talk about. We asked um, some of you all some questions, asked some of um, our peers whenever we were students here. And so we just wanna give every time to answering these questions. So I think a, a big question um, that is asked today, whenever we say we live in a racist world, what does that mean, right? I think, um, everyone, a different image comes to their mind. They think maybe when they think of racism, they think KKK, or they think of a, a Nazi swastika, right? Um, and all that kind of still exists today, it's not as much. So what does it mean, Jaron, whenever we say we live in a racist world today? What does that look like practically for, for, for our students? Um, I'd back up and ask the question, what's racism first? Um, so I'd say racism would probably be ascribing inferiority or contempt on the basis of race. So with that being a definition, I'd say a racist world is a world that probably classifies and ascribes these things on the basis of race. Um, what's that look like historically in our country? Obviously, you've got slavery, you've got Jim Crow, you've got redlining, you've got education systems, you've got things of that sort historically. Um, but today, there's a guy named George Yancey at Baylor University. Oh, I like what he says. He says that during the civil rights movement, we did the, 
we did the work of dismantling the overt systemic institutional racism to where it's illegal to be a racist now for the most part. Um, what we're left with today is the relational street level mindset, heart level type stuff. So, so, so what's racism look like today? It's the stuff you see on the streets. It's racial slurs still being called, uh, being thrown out on streets. It's um, biases, uh, jokes, mindsets happening on the streets. I'd say that's what it looks like today. Yeah, and I think that's, that's really helpful for us. In the back, you, you gave a really good illustration, right, of uh, talking yeah, about yeah. Um, the division that can still exist yeah. today after all of that systemic racism that we've been through. Yeah, so I stole this from George Yancey. I'm not a genius. Um, he, he said, for example, if you've got a domestic abuse situation and a husband decides one day, I'm gonna stop hitting my wife. Good, that's the easy thing. You should decide you should stop hitting your wife. What still exists within the household is probably the distrust, the broken relationship. The husband probably still has tendencies that would result in the action of beating his wife. And the wife probably still has a lot of mistrust, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain there. So yeah, he did the overt stuff of I'm gonna stop doing this, but there's still a lot of stuff relationally going on that needs, needs healing. That's great. And, and you know, we can provide um, tons of stats and like John said some really key words there talking about, you know, redlining and uh, mass incarceration. Those are things that we can, we're actually provide some stats later on after uh, chapel. That way you all can see those and even some resources that you can be looking into that um, shows, hey, we still have a problem um, in our country when it comes to this issue. But again, um, stories also matter. Stories also matter. Um, and so I asked uh, Brianna and Jeron if they wouldn't mind um, kind of sharing their own experience of dealing with racism. And so I want to ask Brianna first, um, and I'll say this, um, they volunteered and are willing to do this. This does not mean that every person of color is in the, is in the, the mindset to be able to just be open about telling you this type of things, okay? Uh, but Brianna and Jerron are open enough to do that and, and help us out with this. So Brianna, would you mind sharing and then Jerron? Yeah, so my family, I have a white dad and then a Dominican mom, and she's much darker skin than I am. She has a very strong accent, which I love. Um, but just as long as I can remember, and to this day, if we go somewhere, as soon as she starts talking, as soon as somebody hears her accent, people's demeanor completely changes towards her. Um, and even as a little kid, because I don't look as much like her as people think I should, um, people were like, oh, that's your nanny. Um, or, you know, even different times, again, my family is um, just darker complexion than I am. And I remember this past summer, I went to um, some lake somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I don't even remember where. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a mistake. Um, but I went to this lake with my cousin, he's like my older brother, and, and we stopped at a gas station to get some snacks or something, and we just like felt the room shift when we walked in. And, and I all of a sudden got really, really scared that you know somebody was gonna step to him or something, some situation was gonna arise just by us being in there. And so for the rest of the weekend, I drove us everywhere. I didn't let him drive because, you know, what if we got pulled over because he was driving? Or just like 
thoughts like that or and finding out later as an adult when I was really young um, there was one time it had snowed in my childhood home and my parents had told us like neighbors had put a swastika in the snow in the front of our house and just you know that was like 20 years ago you know so things like things like that thank you Jerome about you my brother uh, there have been a lot of situations where I've thought, could this be? Is this? Um, I'd say the most overt to where I left it was like, dude, I think you're a racist. Um, this summer, actually, um, at the church I pastor, let's preface with that, my church that I pastor, um, guy comes up to me after church and he's a visitor, blah, 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 and we're talking. And he said, it's so refreshing to see you because generally black guys just don't have good theology. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> thanks. So we went back and forth for a bit and he was convinced that to be an African-American Christian is to have terrible theology, which um, I have another friend who um, lives in the general part of this country. Uh, and we talked this summer, he went to high school with a person who's on his local police force. And so he called this guy this summer to like say, hey, what's your mind space with this? How are you doing? And uh, this cop was very comfortable with my friend. And so he starts going off on black people in his city. Um, and he's recording this conversation. He doesn't know he's being recorded by my friend the whole time. And my friend plays it back and the cop says, most of these situations that you see where a black person is killed is probably the black person's fault because black people don't listen. Um, that was shady. Um, I'd say those two were probably the most overt. Yeah. What I love um, about what is being shared, not the stories and statistics that are being shared, is that what we see is that whenever someone says there's racism or we live in a, in a racist world, um, we're not thinking back to, you know, 1619 when there's slaves being brought here um, but we're saying is is there are consequences that we still have to deal with in our country because of the centuries of racism just being put into literally into our soil um, and but the progress is happening I think we would all say progress is happening but it's still there um, and then just hearing these stories of, of it's not just on a systemic level, a national level, but it's personal, it's individual as well. Um, I wanna, so if that's what racism is, I wanna come a little bit more practical for our students now. Um, I think a lot of times what we hear uh, said is start having the conversation. Conversation is said a lot, right? Like have the conversation on racism. And I think, honestly, most of our students want to have that conversation or already are having that conversation, but there is some nervousness that comes into that. There's some anxiety because you know, not wanting to say the wrong thing, um, not wanting to be labeled something, or it just the conversation leads to just division. So Brian, would you mind um, helping our students on having, like what does it look like to have an edifying, um, unifying conversation on racism without like delving into division? And with that, what are some labels that we should caution ourselves from just throwing out there onto someone else? Yeah, I, I try to just think about every conversation as family 
And when I do marriage counseling, one of the things I always talk about is like, hey, if we can, if we can picture ourselves on the same side of the fence and then the problem that we're disagreeing about is on the other side of the fence, that's a really good place because that means we're together, the problem's over there. And with all things, including this discussion, the moment that I think I'm on this side of the fence and you're my problem on that side of the fence, then we get into this whole, we get into all kinds of problems. It's a really unbiblical standpoint because God made us to be family. And so I encourage people like, don't use the word they, <laughs> please. It, it went, like that, that group of people, um, that can be, and I realize I don't want to just nitpick every single word, but come at it from a standpoint of we is it, really helpful. Uh, when I uh, talk to people, uh, I want to invite them to journey with me and not to um, just to shame them, to leave them behind, because our job as Christian leaders is to lead people to better discussions and health. So I wanna meet people where they are and try to, with courage and love, help nudge them. So sometimes that's difficult uh, and it takes courage. I remember being with a friend who was a good friend uh, and someone who was part of our church who had a bad experience uh, working at the local McDonald's and made the statement, I hate working with black people because they're so lazy. So I, there was this moment where I can be like, you know, just kind of let it roll. But if I don't have the courage to stand up in that moment to a friend, I won't have the courage to really do anything. And so in that moment, my response may not have been perfect, but my friend loved me and loved my family. And I just said, so are you saying my daughter is lazy? And like, he, like his whole body like did this little jolt change thing. It's like, well, no, 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 uh, I, I didn't mean that, not her. And, and I was like, well, you kind of did. And that wasn't really fair. So there's the courage part, but then we have to follow that up with grace and say like, yeah, I, I know like there's some stuff in my life and my vocabulary that reveals some bad stuff in my heart. So I'm kind of on this journey. So we, then we want to offer like, okay, so let's journey along. When I'm talking to somebody um, who's a person of color, I, the first thing I'm, I'm not, the first thing is not gonna be like, hey, so tell me all of your stories of racial injustice. <laughs> no, like we be a friend to be a friend, right? Like I wanna be a good friend and an encourage, encourager to them. There were opportunities, um, you know, especially this summer where I had a neighbor that I've been building a friendship with for years. And he came over, sat around the fire pit, and it became a good moment for me to say, like, hey, would it, would it be okay if I could just listen to you talk about kind of like your life and what it's been like with this whole concept of race? Uh, how has that impacted you? And if you don't want to answer, that's fine. So that's how I would not ask that question to somebody who wasn't my friend. And I would always give them a lot of room to be like, I don't want to have that conversation. So uh, I would encourage you to, to do that. And then in that conversation, don't make assumptions about them perceiving a new story the same way you would. Like leave all of your assumptions behind you and I, it really shuts down conversation when you say things like, well, of course, because of this, then you've lost them if they're like, well, that's not really how I see that. So those are a few things and just kind of beginning those conversations. Yeah, and I appreciate the leading with truth 
and also being gracious in these types of conversations. I think oftentimes we can just immediately shut people down by putting a label on them of saying, well, well you just said A, you must be a racist, right? Let's lead with grace with that. Say, hey, you know you just said this, this can, this can come across as this way. And it's the same way the other way around too. Well, you're just a social justice warrior. That's all you care about, right? And putting that label so we can be dismissive. This reminds me again of um, when the religious leaders looked at Jesus and they call him a Samaritan to dismiss him, to be done, right? Um, Brianna, I think in these conversations, as Brian was saying, you know, people, people want to be sensitive. Um, this is a very sensitive topic, um, but we are all, you know, fallible sometimes. Um, and we can say the wrong words, and we didn't even mean to. Um, could you help us on just understanding some terminology or some things that's not okay to say and kind of the reason why? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this, this applies to me too, if I have to do the work and the research to know, because there's a lot of things out there that, that we say that there's reasons we shouldn't say them. Um, but just a couple terms that have personally affected me, um, because of the way that I look or the way that I talk, I'm often told, and people don't mean this in a bad way, but I'm often told, oh, well, you pass for white. And... I really, that's so hurtful to me. Um, you know, part of my story is all the good things in my life that I've inherited have been from my Dominican family. So just this beautiful legacy of faith, and they taught me to worship and to pray and, and to learn. Um, and then to be told, well, you don't, you pass for white, so that doesn't, that doesn't really count because you don't look the way I think you should look. Um, and there's also just this bad connotation to, okay, if I didn't pass for white, like, just the word passing, um, it's just nobody ever means that in a mean way, but I think it does matter. Um, and then another thing, and we've already said this term several times, and you've probably heard it a lot in the past couple years, is when we talk about people of color, we say people of color. And in that order is very, very, very important. So um, it's important that we say people of color, not colored people. Um, and maybe that doesn't sound like a big difference or a big deal to you, but there is so much history to how that word has been used to call people colored in such negative ways and, and has defined, it's been a descriptor before being a person. And so we don't, we don't want to do that. We want to acknowledge, first and foremost, we are all image bearers. We are people. And if we are people of color, we say it that way and that, that matters. Yeah, thank you. I, I want to start um, giving some things that I mean, I think this stuff has been gold and can already been written down in their notes. Let's get even a little bit more practical. We've been talking about how we have, um, we are dealing with the consequence um, of systemic racism in our history. One of the responses to that um, is to try to diversify your leadership or your church or your organization. You want to have diversity represented. Well, a negative thing that can come from that um, is tokenism. T 
tokenism, and maybe you've heard that before, being a token, right? Um, and tokenism, or making someone a token, is when um, an, an institution or a church or an organization, um, in order just to kind of check the box and say, hey, look, we're being inclusive, we're including people of color, you put someone in a visible spot so that they're seen, but it's not because you really care about um, trying to dismantle racism or being uh, an hospitable community. You just wanna have the, the visual that you care about this, and so then you can just check it off and move on. We would say that is very inauthentic, right? Um, it's not the way that we're supposed to respond, but this is a real issue, tokenism. Um, and so I think I wanna ask this from two different um, perspectives. Um, I'm gonna come to you with this, Jaron. Um, as our students of color who are going, who want to go into ministry, who want to have a job, right, to earn an income, um, are navigating um, this racist world and people and institutions who do uh, make people into tokens, um, how best should they navigate this? So, for example, is it okay if they become a token? And what do you think about that? And even just your own experiences with dealing with being a token, not being a token. I've only ever had one job, so this isn't like tried and true practice, so I'm gonna say that. Only ever had one job. Um, Brian Loritz, um, in his book, Insider Outsider, he basically called tokenism, uh, he said tokenism is when you get a person of color or a woman or something, and you give them the position, but you don't give them room for one expression or two to actually influence where they are. So it's like you're just here to look good, uh, to make us look good, basically. Um, there's a fine line between being a token and being a pioneer. Um, I think the answer to that um, isn't a bunch of questions. So I mean, ask an ungodly amount of questions. Um, what am I here for? What do you want me to do? What are you allowing me to do? Is this good? Is that good? Just ask and ask and ask and have older people ask for you and ask other people what questions you should be asking and it'll become rather apparent what they have you there for. Um, it'll become rather apparent if you're a token just to look good or if they're saying, no, we really need help. Um, we really want you to come in and help and contribute and help us build something. But I mean, I'd say if they've got you there just to look good, dude, leave. I mean, you don't gotta go there. Um, but if you are a pioneer, Randy Garris told me this. He said, look, if you're a person of color or a woman or something and you're in this pioneering situation, work it. Work it. Yeah. And you can help other people who come behind you, right, into those positions. Uh, Brian, I wanna come to you looking at it from a different perspective. Um, we wanna have authentic relationships. We wanna have um, ministries that are about reconciliation, racial unity. So looking at it from this other side of wanting to have that, but not wanting to make someone a token, how can our students navigate that? Yeah, I think, again, asking lots of questions within your organization and within our leadership circle is having this question of like, is this treating this person with dignity? And then to even have an honest enough relationship with that person of, are you feeling like we're treating you with dignity? And really listening. Hopefully you can make sure you really are and you don't have to ask that question of that person you know, every day. <laughs> uh, but to, to really just think about like, are we treating, are we treating this person as a person or as a token 
you know, like I'm going to Chuck E. Cheese and back in the old days we had tokens to play the game, but you're using that to get somewhere as opposed to treating that person with real value. Um, and on the flip side, I think, um, again, that word grace, uh, for the person being asked, recognize that someone's heart might be in the exact right place and they're just still a little clunky navigating that. So it may mean that you need to turn that down because they're not ready to navigate that with you yet, but it may at least mean that you're not bitter about that or you may be able to extend some help to them and that's where there's lots of uh, folks that are predominantly a lot of predominantly white churches that you don't know what you don't know and your heart is right so they need somebody to come and maybe help them and if their hearts are really open to that then don't necessarily quickly write them off because that kind of loses an opportunity for the kingdom at whole yeah i love it I want to kind of transition again for us. Um, I think often we can think of racism and we kind of leave it in this idea realm. Um, But we need to remember that racism actually hurts people. Like, this is why it's part of this broken series. Racism breaks and hurts people. Um, and we've already told stories today, and I told stories last week of people experiencing racism. Um, so, Brianna, f- for our students of color who um, have experienced racism or may, if they have not yet, maybe will in the future, um, when they experience that, when they get hurt in that way, um, what are some steps that they can take to go towards healing? I would say three three things. Um, first, just acknowledge acknowledge the brokenness and the gravity of what you've experienced. Um, and if you feel even in your body that what you've experienced is just wrong, it's because it is. And, and we want to feel that and lament that and, and bring that to the feet of Jesus and know that he is also heartbroken over that. Um, so acknowledge what it is for what it is. And then second, you know, ask the Spirit, invite the Spirit to, to do a healing work in our hearts. Um, you know, just being real in my first, it's my first year of full-time ministry, and um, there's been a lot of different situations where, in, just in different contexts, not even in one year, even before that, where, you know, God has been so amazing to open up these doors that I could have never imagined walking through, and I've had people tell me, well, yeah, you check all the boxes. And, and it wasn't about, did God call me there? Did God equip me for this? It was like, well, of course, you're like, you're a female of color. You're the best thing you could be in today's world. And, and I, would, I would totally be lying to you if that didn't hurt me or, you know, make me feel insecure as just a young person in ministry who is very aware of how little I know. <laughs> and, um, and so the importance of even asking asking the spirit to like, you know, God, help me, help me heal from that because I, I cannot, I cannot go into a room and sit at a table where hard conversations are being had. And even though inconvenience, I may be white in that moment, but when they need somebody on a platform, I can be something else. It's, it's having to pray through that and being like, I can't, I can't fight for justice if I don't have healing in my life because I'm just going to hurt a lot of people. And so just, you know, acknowledge, ask the Spirit for healing. And the last thing is ask the Spirit 
to help you forgive and just ask for an awareness of the grace that's been extended to us so that we can extend that as well. Um, and I really, I love what Brian just said about, you know, the relationships that you have with your leaders. Um, man, my, my, my pastor does such an amazing job. It makes me feel so valued when he says, hey, like, how is this? Does this feel right? Does it not? Like, he, he has the humility and the compassion to ask me instead of just assuming. So I think that's, that is all a really big part of it. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's those three things of acknowledge, um, ask the Lord to heal, ask the Spirit to heal, um, and then also asking the Spirit to help to forgive. Um, sadly, I have seen where people only did the first step, acknowledged it, didn't try to do this, those other two steps, and instead of going towards love and unity, went towards bitterness. Um, and it's really sad because then there's, it's just creating more and more of that division um, allowing the world to win in that. Um, and so I think Brown gave something really good there. And so I, I wanna say for time's sake, um, that's what our students of color, that's the steps you can take for our white students. So most of you all in here, those are the three steps to help your friends walk through. That means you acknowledging it, what just took place. That means you praying for them, lamenting with them, right? That's you helping them be able to get to the place where they're able to um, forgive. I, I do want to ask this really important question before we go into last thoughts. Um, whenever we asked all of our different peers, um, whenever we were students here, hey, what is something you wish Ozark would have done whenever you were a student? Unanimously, that came up was, I really wish we would have had a more diverse voices that, that had influence of us. Um, I think a lot of times that's through, you know, we want faculty and, and professors, but it's also just through resources and books as well. And I think that's something I still hear you all say today. Um, and so, Brian, would you mind just giving us um, a few voices that would be really good? I think I'm thinking about our faculty as well that we can implement and put into our classrooms, but also just for our students to do their own research. Just some voices that would be good to hear. Yeah, I'll just mention a couple. Um, I think every believer in America should get to know John Perkins very well. Amen. Uh, I think he's one of the most important figures of our time. And, uh, and you just need to get to know and read everything he's written. Um, but uh, you, get to, you need to get to know him beyond his books, but get to know who he is through his writing. I think it's really, really important, uh, the work that he's done. Uh, if you want a book and somebody who's speaking about really holistic spiritual growth and engaging people and the work of discipleship, Rich Viotis, uh, I think is doing as well as anybody I know out of New York City. And uh, racial justice would be part of what he talks about, part of the gospel there. And so I would encourage you, um, if you wanna just get started, uh, and you're just wanting to find like your first book to read and you need to be able to digest it fairly quickly. Um, Eric Mason's Woke Church or Jamar Tisby's How to Fight Racism uh, are both really great, really practical um, and kind of entry level, but important and really biblically informed. And we have a list that maybe we can post somewhere. I added you all suggestions to it um, that we can give you like a whole list of resources with little descriptions that we worked on. Yeah, and we'll try to figure out a way to get that to you all. Um, let's, go, let's go into last thoughts here. I wanna, I wanna give our students some things that they can start doing right now 
when it comes to being part of the Ministry of Racial Reconciliation. I also want to give students some things to do whenever they are entering into their first years of ministry. And then I also want to give them some things to do when it comes to being maybe um, a decade into it and being maybe a leader within their church. And so, Brianna, can you help our students of what can they do right now when it comes to walking with Jesus in this racist world towards unity? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest things is care about your integrity right now. Um, I did not take that seriously my first couple years at Ozark, and, and I saw how God really used that in my last times here. Um, your integrity really matters. Your word in the little things and the big things matter. And when you come to the table, wherever you are, people, people can sense, are you a man? Are you a woman of your word? Um, and, and, you know, justice, like justice and holiness are not separate they're not separate things. So care about your integrity now, foster that now. Um, and second, you know, if, you, if you're one of those people who get like real fired up and are really passionate, that's wonderful, that's awesome. But, you know, be passionate without dehumanizing the person you're, you're engaging with, right? Like um, there's a common prayer liturgy that, that says, you know, to be a disruptive peacemaker is to disrupt injustice without mirroring injustice. So we want to be really conscious of that. So when you're in the dorms or you're on Facebook or whatever it is that we're doing, like, you know, honor the people you're speaking to because in real life, you can't go off on Facebook about a coworker or, you know, that's just, that's not how we honor people. So that's the thing. And then, you know, get, get cozy with rhythms of repentance because we are all trying to figure out how to do this better, how to walk closer in the way of Jesus. So, you know, get, get used to that now. Yeah. Jaron, how about whenever the students are done, they're graduated, they're into, you know, three or fourth, fifth year of ministry. What can they do to continue to keep going towards the ministry of reconciliation? I'd definitely say model it. Um, as a leader, I mean, everything you do in terms of action is communicating culture and values and expectations. So you're definitely uh, uh, modeling it more than you're shouting about it. So that, I mean, and so I mean, things you're modeling. One, you're probably modeling playing by God's rules. Uh, we've got this weird, those of us who've grown up with the internet, we've got this weird thing where we feel this pressure from they out there on social media and we're doing things and not doing things because of they, but we don't actually know who they are and they're causing anxiety. So it's like, dude, forget them, forget they. Um, one of the big lessons I've learned is I'm a massive ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. So I had to learn to like sit down and shut up and listen. Um, Proverbs 19 too has probably been life-changing. I think it says, uh, zeal without knowledge is bad. He who hastes at his feet falls in a ditch or something. Um, a lot of us have this inclination to just go out there and do everything and doing a lot of stuff without getting an understanding probably leads to a lot of damage. Um, I've got friends who've walked away from the faith because they were super zealous but were ignorant. I've got friends who've damaged relationships, um, probably doing inner work, um, checking your own friend circle, what's being said within your friend circle. Um, Things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you. And then Brian, for our students who, I mean, I don't think they're thinking about, you know, seven, 10 years into the future right now, but they should be, uh, especially going off of what our friends have said here. But what is something that they can do when they are in the thick of ministry to keep on pushing for this? Yeah, uh, the people in your church and in your world are gonna be discipled in many ways. And in many ways, racism has been discipled into us and it's our job to, to disciple it out. And uh, that means that you need to listen and sit down with people who understand. Um, and I think that we need to address racism on a micro level and not just a big kind of theory or we need people to, to think theory in the clouds, big picture, systematic, big things. But I don't want people doing that until they've addressed rape, uh, uh, injustice on a micro level. And what that means is Find people who have in some ways been given a tough hand uh, because of their background. In Tulsa, if you live north of Admiral Street, that divides Tulsa, your life expectancy is 12 years less than if you live south of Admiral. Like, what, like I, I can't figure out all of the reasons for that. We know some of them, but I can invest in people who come from difficult circumstances and so um, that's my Tuesday evenings as I address <laughs> some injustice issues on a micro level. That's, that's my plan tonight uh, by being with people and caring for people. And maybe I find out that maybe some other hardship isn't always because of racism. Fine. I'm still getting to love people and be good neighbors. And so think about it on that small level. But until you until you fight it on a small level, then you're ignorant on the larger levels. And I wanna give a word of warning about those larger things. Right now, many, many, many preachers are getting pummeled over the head and being told that you are just a communist or a Marxist or a CRT fan, and it's people who have never even, don't even know what they're talking about. Like every week I'm talking to people um, who have people in their church who are saying, well, you can't preach from Micah 6, 8 or Isaiah 1 because you use the word justice. And I heard from a blog that that means that you must be some CRT radical left-wing blah, blah, blah. I am telling you that that has been weaponized against people who care about biblical justice. And you can, you can disbelieve me all you want. Just come hang out with me and talk to my friends. Because young and old alike, a 70-year-old woman who's a dear friend of ours, her husband is a pastor in North Tulsa, asked me the other day, she's like, what is the deal with critical race theory? Because all of a sudden, I guess I'm a part of it. And like for, for 70 years, she's loved the Lord and preached the gospel. And suddenly, because the po political winds have kind of turned, and because there is some real danger about some of the stuff coming out of academia in different places, <clears throat> but it's been weaponized in a way that's been given to people who just don't know. And so they're demanding that people not talk about racial justice anymore because it sets off an alarm bell about something that those people probably don't even know about. And so be really wary about jumping into those arguments until you've really sat with the people who are in the middle of working for biblically informed racial justice. That's who we wanna partner with. And and for those who may be influenced by more secular ideas, um, then if we don't, 
If we don't leave them and frustrate them because we're ignorant, then we can have a voice with them and we can say, hey, listen, all of that stuff of injustice that you feel that bothers you, do you know why you feel that? Because God is a a just God and it gives us an entryway to speak to them about a just God that otherwise we forfeit. So that's my heart is that we can disciple Jesus into people. And just because we talk about Racial justice doesn't get us into the kingdom, but it shows that the kingdom has gotten into us. So that's why we talk about it. Amen. Friends, can you give it up for our panel being here today? I'm so appreciative of what they said, and I don't even want to repeat anything because they said it so well in their own way. Let me tell you one way to respond to this, and then I want to finish this up in prayer. Um, One way you can respond immediately to this is we're having uh, an event tonight, uh, movie night, watching the movie Just Mercy. Seven o'clock tonight, there's going to be food, snacks, all that fun stuff. Um, But we're going to watch a really hard movie about a Christian who said, I'm going to fight against racial justice. Um, in the 1970s, I believe it was, or 1918. I'm looking at Chris to make sure I'm right on that. Um, and then we're going to have a discussion about it. So if you want to know one way to respond, that's one way to respond. Come to the movie night tonight. Um, let me go ahead and pray for us. Lord, you are a God of justice and a God of holiness. Too often we want to Just pick one or the other. We want to fight against justice but not care about being just in our own hearts. Or we only care about personal piety and we don't care about what's taking place with our neighbor's lives. But Lord, you don't allow us to do that. Your gospel pulls us to do both. And Lord, this is a hard conversation It is a hard thing to break racism. So may we, Lord, come to you and rely on your spirit as we have these conversations, as we try to fight against inauthenticity, as we try to have true uh, relationships of reconciliation and to try to fight on the micro and the macro level, Lord, to make your kingdom come so that this earth would be like heaven. Help our students and help the church, Lord. It's in your name, Christ, we pray all these things in. Amen.